Hey, grown-ups! If you're a fan of comedy, there's a brand new podcast from our friend Justin Bartha that I wanted to tell you about. You may remember Justin from episode seven this season. He's the treasure hunter at the Met, and as you heard, a seriously funny actor. Justin's show is called King of the Egg Cream, and in addition to Justin, it has just the most incredible cast. Again, this show's just for grown-ups and probably older kids. Grown-ups, you can take a listen yourself and see what you think. But if you're a fan of hilarious stuff and well-told stories, you will probably like King of the Egg Cream. Here's a taste. This egg cream is delicious. I wish the chocolate syrup inside wasn't so expensive. If you'd like to save some shekels and have some fun at the same time, make sure you tune in to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. And now, back to the show. Hey, listeners, and especially grown-up listeners, Lee here. I'm really excited to announce that Story Pirates is executive producing a brand-new podcast for grown-ups who believe in arts education. It's called Arts Educators Save the World, and today I'm so thrilled to share with you the very first episode, which features our friends Lin-Manuel Miranda and Robert Lopez. Arts Educators Save the World is a show about conversations between incredible artists like Lin and Bobby with the arts educators who helped mold them. Here's the very first episode, and if you like it, you can hear episode two right now by searching for Arts Educators Save the World wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're there, please consider subscribing to the show and leaving a review because that's the way more people can find it. We'll be back later this week with a new episode of the Story Pirates podcast, but in the meantime, please enjoy episode one of Arts Educators Save the World. The direct education we got from Barbara wanting us to like go headlong into running our own show and the empowerment that comes with student-run theater, it was life-changing for me. Educators Save the World, a podcast where successful artists talk with their mentors about the impact they've had in their lives and the ways that mentorship and education made them the people they are. My name is Erica Rosenfeld Halverson, and I am your host and superhero guide. As a superhero, I wear a lot of costumes. My Clark Kent suit is as a professor of education at the University of Wisconsin Madison. I have a PhD in the learning sciences which means I know a lot about how people learn and how to design learning environments. This past year, I published my first book, How the Arts Can Save Education. It represents my best ideas for how the arts can transform what good teaching and learning look like to fix our broken system of schooling that now works primarily for our most privileged kids. I am also the mayor of Whoopensocker, a community arts outreach program here in Madison, Wisconsin, that brings rigor and joy to elementary school classrooms through creative writing, improv, and professional performances of student-authored stories. If this sounds familiar to you, you are probably already fans of our friends at the Story Pirates. This is no accident. 
We are superhero cousins whose capes are cut from the same cloth. Our work is dedicated to celebrating the genius and creativity of young people. If you are a grown-up who loves the story pirates, this podcast is right up your alley. This is my very first podcast. Not listening, of course, but hosting. And my first chance to wear my Terry Gross costume, and I am bursting to get started. As a superhero of arts education, I have been thinking for a long time about how artists get to be who they are and how education, and mentors in particular, shape their lives. And it turns out, when you ask successful artists of all kinds, actors, writers, sculptors, musicians, chefs, comedians, photographers, they are excited and ready to talk with their mentors on air about how they continue to be inspired by them. So here we are, telling their stories, sharing them with you, and hopefully inspiring you to spread the word about the power of arts education. Someone whose voice you'll hear a lot throughout the podcast is my friend of many decades, my producer and superhero sidekick, Alec Lev. Hi, Alec. Hi, Erica. I am so excited to be collaborating with you and with all of these amazing guests. So here's the plan. In every episode, we'll get to talk to an artist and their mentor together. And just like we're talking about all art forms, we're also talking with all kinds of mentor educators. We've got elementary school and high school teachers, educators who run programs outside of school, folks who work at universities, and even a pair of friends who met on the set of a TV show and have been teaching each other about the power of art to change young people's lives ever since. That's right. And in these first two episodes, we will hear from an educator who changed both of our lives, our elementary school music teacher, Barbara Ames. But we are not the artists interviewing her. Oh, no. We share this inspirational educator with not one, but two of the most accomplished musical theater composers of the 21st century. We talked with Robert Lopez, the world's only double EGOT winner. That's Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony. Two of each so far. Go ahead. (laughs) He's also the co-creator of Avenue Q, Book of Mormon, and a little thing you may have heard of called Frozen. We also shared the mic with Lin-Manuel Miranda, MacArthur Genius, Pulitzer Prize winner, creator of In the Heights, the soundtrack for Encanto, and the transformational Hamilton. The four of us sat down with Miss Ames to talk with her about her experiences at Hunter College Elementary and High School, the public magnet school in Manhattan we all attended, where Miss Ames taught from 1985 to 2000. We had the amazing opportunity to reflect on the impact she had on all our lives and how she made magic happen. Before we begin, a bit of podcasty housekeeping. My sound quality is not the best in these first two episodes with Bobby and Lynn. That's because we were supposed to record at Bobby's studio, but the morning of our taping, we had some positive COVID tests and had to change our plans at the last minute. Instead of taping with Bobby, I ran to Miss Ames' house, but not wanting to endanger her, we couldn't share the one mic I had, and so I went upstairs and recorded myself on my phone. Everyone else's audio sounds great. And when Bobby kicks off his introduction of Miss Ames, you'll forget all about it. Okay, enough shop talk. Squee! Let's go! I'm so 
so sorry for the next few hours. We're going to be going so inside baseball. (laughs) (laughs) I'm hoping that a way to get us started is for each of us to introduce our guest of honor today. Since she was also my first arts education mentor, I'm going to take that privilege as well. But I thought each of you could start by fielding your own introduction of the special guest star of today's podcast. Wow. (laughs) Shall I go first? I guess I said wow, so I have to. (laughs) When I was in fifth grade, along with Erica and Alec, and Lynn, what grade were you in? I was in kindergarten. Oh my gosh. A new music teacher came to Hunter Elementary School who just became the focus of me and everyone else in our grade, as far as I could tell, with her incredible charisma and musicality and coolness. We just all fell in love with her. She created the idea of doing a show with the fifth and the sixth grade that then just became like the point of school for the whole school, for the whole spring semester, and maybe even part of the fall semester anyway. She created a chorus. She just captivated all of us. And a great many of us became musical theater aficionados, and I was one of them. And that woman was Barbara Ames. <laughs> that's my, that's my uh, off-the-cuff intro. It's so wonderful. Oh, this is great because it's a Rashomon and I got to tell it from a different vantage point. (laughs) I was in kindergarten when we were made to see everyone in the school went to go see the sixth grade play. That's what we called it, the sixth grade play. And we saw, it was West Side Story year year, Mm -hmm. correct? Yep. I guess that was Barbara's first year. And it's amazing how quickly innovation turns to tradition because (laughs) the following year it was Fiddler on the Roof when we were in first grade. In second grade, it was a mashup of The Wizard of Oz and The Wiz. In third grade, it was Peter Pan. And again, every year we get to see what's the sixth grade play going to do this year. In fourth grade, it was Bye Bye Birdie. In fifth grade, it was Oklahoma. And so by the time we're approaching sixth grade, as Bobby put it, it's the point of school. (laughs) And what is our, we are finally here. We are finally in sixth grade. What is our sixth grade play going to be? And Barbara Ames and Robert Sherman, our shop teacher, excitedly told us we would be writing our own musicals and we could not have been more disappointed. (laughs) Because we wanted to see what the show was going to be. And after a few months of writing our own musicals and being like, why can't we do a big, beautiful sixth grade play? They compromised. And they said, we're going to do your original shows and we're going to do 20-minute versions of the previous six years' worth of musicals. And we did an extravaganza called 4 Plus 6 by 6, a four-hour show where poor Barbara Ames played the piano for four hours and our parents sat in those wooden chairs. But I played a cowhand, Bernardo... Captain Hook. I'm the greatest villain of all time. Who wants blue hair? Nobody. Who wants Nero? Nobody. Who wants Jack the Ripper? Nobody. Captain Hook. Captain Hook. The dirt is dark in this wonderful. 
son in Fiddler, mm-hmm. Ada Pearl backup in The Wiz, and most impactfully, Conrad Birdie. dosage of musical theater at age 12 (laughs) and I never had a shot at another career after falling in love with that process. I think we also built a lamp in sixth grade, but really we lived inside this glorious musical and I am lucky enough to make my life in musicals uh, and that's because of Barbara Ames. And that came about because people would say, oh, these are gifted children. They're being imitative. They're doing a show that exists. They should write their own. And we resisted. And then your year, we said, okay. But what Dr. Castro said was just do one scene from the original. So we had four scenes. I know you were in Back to Berkeley. Revolution, rebirth, (laughs) rejoicing, reunion. Our our show was about a college reunion and we were 12. (laughs) (laughs) And very specific, at Berkeley. So you could, like, <laughs> locate yourselves in the tradition of college uprising of the 60s? I think the part that is so remarkable to me in retrospect is we pushed back and we all found a show we could all do together. And that, that we were listened to yes. is extraordinary. In any other school, it'd be like, no, this is the play. Right. For somewhat of an introduction to yourself, this is all quite overwhelming, I think, for people whose musical experience in elementary school and high school was not like this. Yeah. <laughs> I asked this truly not knowing the answer. Who, who were you? Who are you? How did you come to this and, I, I, and create this, this place for them to do what they did? I say them to do what they did. I sat and watched. That was my role in most of these things. No, you were in the band. Anyway. Um, <laughs> sort of. I, I don't really know at this advanced time in my life. I look back and I know I started piano lessons at three and a half. But I, I was strange. I, I ended up at the Greenwich House Music School at that age. Where, Bobby, you were there but yep. <laughs> different time. And I would stop my little recital and I would say, I want a cookie. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, so, uh, and my teacher, Balbina Brainina there, was a Russian-French concert artist. And she would tell my mother, Barbara is very capricious, very capricious. <laughs> and she would have me run under the piano in the middle of the lesson. She lived on Madison Avenue. Anyway, I went to Juilliard after that. I was not a real performer. I was shy. I had stage fright, which I still may have. But I loved music, and I loved pop music, which my Juilliard teachers didn't like that I liked. And I had a good ear. I have perfect pitch, which people think is an advantage, and it sometimes is, but not always. I went to Brooklyn College, majored in music, and when I was a senior, my mom said, you've got to switch. You have to have education courses so you have a job. You have to be able to support yourself. And so I became a teacher. And I started in PS9, Brooklyn, which was District 13 called Bed-Stuy. But it was actually near where I live. It was Prospect Heights at PS9. I had a great support from the uh, administration always, a doctor, Stan Seidman. And somebody asked me to do The Man of La Mancha. And that was my first entry into theater. 
And then when I was there, I did Sesame Street for the whole fifth grade. I did The King and I. I did Fiddler with an entirely cast children of color. I did Raisin. That's where I taught many, many African-American songs and spirituals and gospel. And I don't know, I got my training there. And then I got to Hunter and I saw that there was no limit to what the children at Hunter could do, but none. I was blown away. I think that the Hunter kids liked, I could play piano, I could transpose. So I was not against changing the key so that the child could sing it. A lot of directors, I mean, they will not change the key because it changes the feeling, right. but it was more important for me that they could sing it and feel good about it. And I could transpose well, very easily. Barbara, I'm going to do the third part of the Rashomon, which though Bobby and I are the same age and I have similar memories. But you were the youngest in our class, right, Erica? I was. I was the baby always. But our senior year of high school, we had the opportunity to do internships as ways to get credit because we had maxed out all of the coursework. And I, even then had the idea that I wanted to learn how Barbara did the work that she did. So I was an intern for the elementary school music teacher as my senior project. And that year, the sixth grade play was A Chorus Line. Like many of these plays, they were ambitious and uncompromising in their ambition. This was a chorus line of... 44. 47 people. <laughs> 44. You remember how many people. That is a long chorus line. And they couldn't be eliminated. <laughs> because... My brother was the... Zach, um, the director. Zach, yeah. My main job was to try to make sure that all 44 could do some version... Of the one singular sensation dance. Choreographed by Janet Savage, Mr. Sherman's wife. Yes. Somehow that experience not only didn't deter me from (laughs) thinking about the important role of education in kids' artistic lives, but actually encouraged me to pursue life's work in working with young people to make art. So... My introduction to Barbara Ames involves my internship as an arts teacher. Brief (laughs) aside to shout out the additional songs Barbara wrote for (laughs) additional characters, which I can still sing. I remember Sam Sogar and Mecca's co-solo of I'm not just a dancer, I can act, I can act. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I had one of those too. You know the constable song, right? (laughs) The The infamous constable song. was heard throughout the land. I carried out those orders. Wow. So, I mean, first of all, like already in our zeal to grab the mic and (laughs) sing Barbara Ames originals, this is so above and beyond the call of duty to write original musicals so that everyone gets a solo and everyone feels seen and everyone feels 
heard. You talk about the importance of arts and education, and that that to me just speaks such volumes. Just one more aside in Erica's introduction, because while you were interning for Barbara Ames your senior year, you were also directing hair which I saw in seventh grade was a pretty seismic moment in my life. The fact that we had a student-run theater company that was putting on like bold adult work, um, as adult as it could be and still be appropriate. You know, no one got naked. I think you had them all in bodysuits, if I remember correctly. But it was life-changing for me. I think the direct education we got from Barbara wanting us to like go headlong into running our own show and the empowerment that comes with student-run theater because I saw from seventh grade onward what could be done. And then I directed West Side Story my senior year for musical rep. And I I grabbed the stuff from the movie I wanted to. I did the Boy Girl America. I swapped Krupke and Cool. (laughs) I I went went to the Barbara Ames School of Make the Best Show Possible (laughs) for Your Students. Mm -hmm. And I love what you said, Lynn, about the ambition of it all, right? That we came into art making with the idea that you should make the piece that not only is the piece in its fullest, but also that reflects the talents and the contributions of all the artists that you have in the space, which we learned when we were 10 years old. Part of what captivated me about you, and I always felt like you were my teacher. Like I feel like a lot of people felt this way about you, but that you were teaching me and you you saw me. It gave me so much confidence to try things myself. And I loved the way you played the piano. I love that you seemed to have 12 fingers yeah. and you had all these rings and bracelets on that jangled. <laughs> and yet you never missed a note. It was like so feminine and just wonderful. And you started off, we were doing recorder just for class, and I think it became an assembly. And we did Lucy and Linus, yes. the Charlie Brown song, and we all had mm-hmm. recorders. We were just like blowing them like crazy. <laughs> you only need five <laughs> notes for that one. It's a good one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's the triumphant part because you just let go of your thumb. Just let go. Just let go of your thumb. <laughs> overblow it as much as you can. But anyway, I, I remember just standing at the edge of the piano watching you play the two hands in Lucy and Linus are off. Yeah. One's playing one rhythm and the other is playing right. a very difficult uh-huh. rhythm. And I said, I want to learn to do that. And you told me that I could. And you, you could. taught me the left hand, da 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 and then the right hand. And then I said, but how could you possibly ever play these two rhythms at the same time? And you said, just go home and work on it and you can play it on Friday at the assembly. And I said, okay, I'll try. And I never could get it at home. And then I came in on Friday. I was nervous. And you said, do you want to do it? And I said, yeah. And then I actually did it. And it was one of these moments. I actually played it in rhythm and everyone blew the recorder. And it was like (laughs) one of the foundational moments in my confidence as a musician. And and you gave that to me. It was amazing. I remember Um, you as pretty accomplished classical pianist in those days. Yeah, but in classical music, you don't have to do that kind of crazy rhythm. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Bobby, I remember when we were in sixth grade. So at Hunter, sixth grade is a graduation point. And then seventh through twelfth grade is is its, its own school. And so the graduation was an event 
which I don't know whether, Barbara, before you, it really was the kind of event that it became. Probably not. you wrote a song, Bobby, and we sang it. Barbara, another one of your gifts is honoring people's talents in a way that allowed all of us to value those talents. So I was 12. Bobby had been my friend since I was five. I didn't know that he could write a song or that he could write a song that... 50 people could sing together. And that has stayed with me, both because of what Barbara gave all of us, but Bobby also like, that was a pretty good harbinger of things to come. So that's another (laughs) gift that Barbara was able to give us. I want to say that Lynn, I'm going to single him out. He gave me a tribute in 2016 for Martin Luther King. All I did was cry. It was kept as a surprise (laughs) by my daughter. And then she said, Mom, comb your hair. I put, put a bathrobe on. It was in the morning. <laughs> and then this came on with Lynn in the auditorium with 50, I, I don't know. And then they sang my Martin Luther King song and Arthur Lewis played. And I just couldn't stop crying. Hello. Happy Martin Luther King Day. Um, every year, Hunter Elementary School students are sad on Martin Luther King Day because um, we all sang this amazing song called Martin Luther King in our elementary school assembly. Um, and it wasn't until we got out into the real world that we realized no one else knew this amazing song. Uh, and it turns out it was because our amazing elementary school music teacher, Barbara Ames, wrote the music and lyrics to the song. Um, And it's one of our favorite anthems. If you went to Hunter, you grew up singing this song. Um, And it's unfair that the rest of the world doesn't know it. So here we have Hunter Elementary School graduates from 1988 till through 2001. That is the the Miss Ames era here at Hunter. Um, And we're all gonna sing, we're going full Mr. Holland's opus and we're singing the Martin Luther King song for you, the internet. Arthur Lewis is playing piano. Here we go. This was the height of Hamilton madness, and we were doing these shows called Ham for Hams, where we would just do kind of a public offering a couple times a week as a cast. And Martin Luther King Day was approaching. I put the call out to any and all alums who knew the song, let's go meet at the auditorium. Arthur will play it and we'll all sing through it. And we had an hour to get it done. And Sari Laufer walked in just as we were finishing because she was late. It was an extraordinary moment. And we were remembering the harmonies as we were sitting where the fourth graders sit in assembly. But what was so extraordinary about your reaction video, and again, this gets back to what Bobby said. Bobby said, I felt like you were my teacher and I felt like you saw me, was as you watched the video, by name, she's crying and calling out the name of every kid. And time has not been kind to us. It's been a long time. And there she is. And she's like, there's John Bogren. There's sorry. Arthur is playing. There's Aaliyah Monty Brown. And she is rattling off the names of kids from all different grades, 
all of whom are adults. Look at Lauren Hammonds. Look, is that Kalila? For me, it was so emotional because I was like, oh my God, she sees and remembers every single one of us. And so you were right. Like, we all feel like our teachers remember us, but, you know, they see a lot of kids and they teach a lot of kids, but <laughs> she remembered all of us. And it was such an extraordinary moment on the other side of it. It was such a beautiful Part two of just even getting to get in the room and sing this beautiful song together. Oh, it was. And then my parents in Tick, Tick, Boom. That was my yeah. latest <laughs> thrill. Of well, yeah, thrill. no, of course. When we get to direct, the only thing I didn't get to do, I was directing my first film, Tick, Tick, Boom, and it is so much about why we go into this field, why we approach the piano every day and why we do this insane thing with impossible odds. And Jonathan Larson writes a really beautiful song about when I was nine, I did this. When I was 16, I did this. And I felt like this and I always want to feel like this. And it felt inconceivable to me to not have Miss Ames be a part of that montage. The only regret I have in that sequence is that I couldn't quite get the budget approval to actually film it in the Hunter Auditorium. Oh. The COVID protocol of filming in a school got too crazy. But I mean, watch the movie. It's our red curtain. I basically rebuilt our auditorium and just took our Barbara Ames experience and put it on that screen. I'd like to ask a question, which is we, we've just now heard stories of both Lynn and Bobby writing early songs. So I would be remiss if I didn't ask, can you draw lines from the moment of writing your, your own musical, Lynn, and Bobby writing your, your song for the class to, you know, what you do for a living now? Well, I remember Miss Ames asked me if I would write the Constable song because the Constable doesn't have a song. I didn't write it because I, I think I just didn't feel, I don't know, I, I just didn't know what to write. It seemed like, well, I can write a song for Fiddler on the Roof. I don't know. <laughs> That's a pretty tall order. For your it was a tall order, and I, I, I kind of didn't come up to bat. But it put the thought in my head, and the next time I got a chance to write a song for a show, which was somewhere else, I took it. And then I started to show Miss Ames, my songs. She she had a whole sheath of them that she discovered in some file recently, and and yeah. and gave them back to me. And they had a little note from my mom saying, "Bobby's writing his yes, own songs." These are. I, know. I still remember honestly. West Side Story was my life in fifth grade. It became every fiber of my being. I was just eating and breathing and sleeping the show and wanted to be part of musical theater in some way. What about at Yale? Did you do anything? At any Yale, I, I mean, I wrote a show a year in middle school and high school at my little drama group in my neighborhood, the Sullivan Street Players. Oh. That was a wonderful experience. And then at school, I did a show a year. And then I, I just never, never really looked back. I was about 13 when I started writing songs for shows. And I believed that I could, I think, because Miss Ames told me I could. Well, Miss Ames was ready to put you next to Bach and Harnick from Jump. Well, I put myself with your resume. But what I want to say is, you know, you asked about direct lines, Alec. For me, the confidence Barbara really gave me in those early years was as a performer. I remember in music class, I had the good fortune of sitting next to my classmate, Lauren Hunter, who was a much better singer than me. She has a really <laughs> extraordinary voice. And because she sang loud, I would sing loud. And Barbara would look at our corner of the classroom and go, wonderful. And I knew it was Lauren, not me. But I just kind of drifted off her confidence and her incredible voice. And then with the roles I got in the sixth grade four-hour 
extravaganza <laughs> aforementioned. That was another boost of confidence. Eric, getting back to music and education, the first time I tried to write original songs was actually for a class assignment for Dr. Herbert's eighth grade mm. English class. He was teaching mm. us section on The Chosen by Chaim Potok, and the assignment was to teach three chapters. I really loved that book. Every once in a while, a book in the curriculum actually jumps out at you, and you read ahead of the assignment, and you just really want to see what happens in the book. And I took control of the group and wrote a song for every chapter and was such a control freak that I actually recorded my own voice singing the songs and everyone in my group lip-synced my voice <laughs> on the tape recorder. <laughs> you know, and I remember Danny's song was, Now I Can Hear the Silence. And it's all very faux les mis because that's the air I was breathing at the time. And Dr. Herbert is the one who said, you know, there's this thing called Brick Prison, which was the student-run theater group at Hunter, and I don't think they've done musicals. And you're going to be the guy to write them. So I really started, I auditioned that year because of him. And then I never looked back. Um, I just was auditioning for everything and then writing plays to get submitted to Brick. And then I started writing original musicals from that encouragement in the classroom. Again, this Miss Ames connection, I went to Wesley and I went to study theater. Like Bobby, I just wrote as much as I could in that time, I realized that college was free time to write without the pressures of the world. I remember I had just gotten out of school and I saw Bobby on the R train. And I really didn't know him. I knew his little brother because his little brother was in one of my Brick Prison musicals. And I just introduced myself because I knew we shared Barbara Ames and we shared Hunter. And to Bobby's incredible credit, he didn't Again, approached on the R train. <laughs> like, you know how much we sh like are trained to shut out anyone who approaches us on the subway. Yes. And Bobby was like, well, let's get coffee at the Edison coffee shop. And really was like an important mentor very early in my life and has been ever since because of that connection. You know, the idea that this work that we did with you, Barbara, was so all-encompassing and that we were all allowed the space to do that. We didn't just act in musicals. We didn't just write songs for musicals. In my memory, we built the set together. Painted the backdrop. Painted the backdrop. Erica, when I think about the intangibles that gave us, not only in fifth and sixth grade with Barbara's show, but then what we carried forward into the high school, the thing I talk about all the time is how do you lead a production when you can't hire, fire, or pay anyone? Your only choice is to really, truly collaborate and make people believe in your vision. And we learned to do that because we had to. I think it has served us so well in so many other aspects of our life, and you can't measure it on a test. The children did research on the, the author of the mm -hmm. book of the play, the times of the play, the composer, the lyricist, and mm -hmm. they did the playbill. They, they did a lot of academic work regarding the play. Yeah, and we didn't go full, full force till April, April and May. But we started kind of Easter break, before Easter break were the auditions, so people could go home and, you know, digest that. Do you remember what you auditioned with, guys, for the sixth grade play? I sang Music of the Night, three octaves up. <laughs> Night time! Unless I'm much mistaken... Something that Miss Ames' work must have done, especially for the three of you who took 
leadership roles in middle school and high school theater and musicals is there was no faculty involved in the musical straight play or student-run productions three every year. You just had an auditorium and go. Yeah, well, I don't want to shortchange our faculty advisors in the high school because we had a, she wasn't there while you guys were there, but we had a wonderful theater advisor named Gina Dooley after you guys left who really helped facilitate particularly musical rep. Mm. But I remember Dr. Herbert, the same guy who got me writing, was the brick advisor. And my senior year internship was with him, Erica. And a philosophy he had that I think Barbara really shares was, we've got a school full of bright kids and our job is to say yes to their impulses unless they're hurting each other. But it's to actually see what they come up with and help facilitate it whenever possible. That is such an empowering environment to grow up in because your coursework is your coursework and Hunter's coursework is as punishing as any school ever, anywhere, but your extracurriculars are really what you're passionate about. It's also, I I think your approach to the sixth grade play has subconsciously approached what I write. I don't think it's an accident that like, In the Heights has lots of great female parts because I know that the real life of the show is the school version of it. (laughs) I remember women auditioning to men at a nine-to-one ratio when we did rep and begging for boys to audition while everyone else is killing themselves for these two parts. And the same with Hamilton, whenever that gets to high school, like you get to double cast those parts and you'll be able to double the size of the cast. That's going to be a 40-person cast every time once that's in high schools because mm-hmm. you'll have a different person playing Lafayette and Jefferson. Right. And I knew that. Like I just, I was like, oh, and, and then school groups will divvy this up the way Barbara Ames divvied up the chorus line. Like That's a part of, I think that, that goes into how you make things because you know where they're going to live in the world. You fall in love with musicals in school and then you go off and write musicals for a living and then they come back to school and live forever in schools. Singing is a knowing. Singing is a knowing. If you really, really work at it, the text, the phrasing, it, it's showing that you know and you learn. And it's so beautiful. Your voice is always with you. It's your first instrument, your natural instrument. Theater incorporated so much singing and choir ensemble singing, which was made it so wonderful. Well, That is the first part of our interview with Robert Lopez, Lin-Manuel Miranda, and one Miss Barbara Ames. What a dream. What a dream. What a time to be alive. (laughs) An excellent way to start this series off. Episode two is going to be available right away. So you can go ahead and listen to the rest of this. Erica, how are we going to wrap these things up? Well, I have an idea. Since improv is really important to me, it shows up all throughout my book, especially in the way that I talk about how we ought to restructure good teaching through improv. And incidentally, I use Tina Fey's memoir, Bossy Pants, as the foundation for how I talk about improv. And so, Tina Fey, if you're listening and you want to come on this podcast and talk about the ways that arts education has changed your life and how you've changed the lives of millions of others, we are here for you. Contact at artseducatorspodcast.com. I thought we would end every episode with my favorite improv warm-up game. I use it with actors. I use it with teachers. It's called Three Things, and it goes a little something like this. Alec, give me three things that you love to eat but can't because 
You're old now. <laughs> okay, piles and piles of ice cream. One. Uh, multiple, uh, four alarm fire hot wings. Two. And uh, uh, baby formula. Three things. <laughs> um, now back at you here, I had an idea, according to the script you sent me. You're welcome. Uh, I'm going to ask you a question, three questions, one question with three answers uh, in return. Here we go. Erica, can you give us three ways that our listeners can get involved with this show? Well, if you have questions, comments, or if you know someone who would make a great guest on our show, write to us at contact at artseducatorspodcast.com. Number one. Use our handy-dandy interview guide to talk to your own mentor about the ways they've changed your life through the arts. Two. Send us your favorite two-minute clip of your interview, and we will do our best to include it in the show. To learn more, go to artseducatorspodcast.com slash contact. Three things. There you have it, folks. Remember to hashtag art saves as you talk all about us on social media. Erica, we did it. That is episode one. Onward together. Arts Educators Save the World is hosted by Erica Rosenfeld Halverson and produced and co-hosted by me, Alec Lev. Our executive producer is Doug Matica and our audio producer is Justin Asher. We are also executive produced by the fantastic group at Story Pirate Studios, Lee Overtree, Benjamin Salka, and Amy Fiore. Original music is by Dan Lipton and our artwork is by Lyra Evans. Check out our website, designed by Cole Locasio at www.artseducatorspodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Arts Educators. Yes, somehow that wasn't taken yet. And on Instagram at Arts Educators Podcast. Write to us with your questions and comments at contact at artseducatorspodcast.com. And wherever you're listening, please remember to subscribe, rate, and review. It really helps the show. We are proud to be sponsored in part by the Wallace Foundation, the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and the Gibb Faculty Fellowship. Arts Educators Save the World was created by Erica Rosenfeld Halverson and Alec Lett. So that's episode one. And if you enjoyed it, you can hear episode two right now by searching for Arts Educators Save the World wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe to the show to help us spread the word. Thanks for listening. See you soon. Bye.